Heidi ho, Heidi ho, another podcast we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Epi number eight, Jeff and Rye Hockey Podcast. Before we get into it too far, though, boys, we're going to uh, got some good news, got some bad news here. Uh, go with the bad news first. Our uh, our host here, Jeff Reezy, he won't be here for the next couple of weeks, so he's going to be coming and going here. Good news of that part is, is that his kid made the travel team, so that's why he won't be making it. He's got to be chasing his boy around the arenas and you know, good for him, probably a proud parent, and hopefully best of luck to his kid, and hopefully they have a good season there. But with that being said, I'm going to send it over to my boy, Rye, down in Strathroy. Rye, how's it going? It's going good, buddy. Yeah, no, just a uh, shout-out to Jeff there for his kid, Dre, playing uh, playing a little tendy, something you know a little bit about, making Shredded the travel the net, team. Baby. Shredded the net, Yeah, so he's uh, he's starting, uh, starting to play pretty good and got the call up to the big leagues. And, yeah, Jeff's got uh, some more time on his hands to, to deal with that. So it's just going to be you and I for a little bit here, bud. But uh, looking forward to it. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll keep the people entertained, that's for sure. Now, with that being said there, uh, we're going to send it back to you right there. Going to go to our ad read for the week. Yeah, this episode, uh, as always, brought to you guys by uh, Tilbury Pizza Boy, your one-stop shop for uh, for food, whether it's for pizzas, wings, tacos, uh, gyros, wraps, uh, pasta. They got it all, folks. So if you haven't had a chance to check them out, go check them out. Free delivery inside the Tilbury area. Uh, credit and cash available on delivery for your convenience. Check them out at TilburyPizzaBoy.com. Got a great kids menu down there too. So if you got your little ones, you can check them out there. Get something for the little ones too. Uh, so this week we got a special guest, big name here coming out. Our boy Nolan Gardner did uh, sat down with us and gave us a good little interview with Jeff there, and uh, we're gonna send it over to that right away. This young gentleman we're about to bring on today, you could say, was destined to play in the OHL. His dad was a point-per-game player in the OHL, and his mom's brother was also a point-per-game player in the OHL. Following the footsteps as his family, he never gave up on his dream to play junior hockey in the O. Playing over 70 games with the Ottawa 67s, and now continuing his pursuit to still play pro hockey someday. An active forward with the University of Windsor Lancers, this young man said the pandemic has only fueled his hunger for the game. Ladies and gentlemen, we have on the pod today, Nolan Gardner. Nolan, welcome on, bud. Good to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem, man. I, I uh, it was great, uh, kind of getting to know you a bit there on the phone. We, uh, we got to chat earlier in the week about your career, and um, you know, it was just, it was great to hear your story. And like you, like you said, I, I, I thought what was so awesome was you just said like the, the pandemic has kind of only fueled your hunger for the game and the love, right? Yeah, you kind of just realize when you're not playing how much you miss it and how much you will miss it. So. I think it kind of helps you appreciate playing just a little bit more. Yeah, exact, definitely. I uh, I know myself, like, it's just all pick up for me now, and it's I haven't played in, like, a year, and I was just telling my wife on the way home from Chatham today, I'm like, man, I just want to get back out on the ice. I miss the game. I miss the, I miss the atmosphere, everything about it. Just that, that rush you get when you got the puck on your stick, right? Nothing, nothing compares. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, so – you know, Nolan, when, when you and I got chatting over the phone on Wednesday, you were kind of mentioning that, that Bantam uh, benchmark for you. And I, I totally agreed with you. I said, I think Bantam was about that age when I think hockey, I really started to take it a bit more serious. And, you know, it was always fun. But I think you were mentioning about how it kind of stepped up to another level for you. I know you were playing uh, AAA at the time. 
could you just maybe take our listeners uh, from your career path from from Bantam AAA to kind of where you are now as a player and, and just uh, your journey along the way? Yeah, so I think it kind of starts just a little bit before that even. Uh, our team in Tilbury was so good when I played. Um, and that's kind of where we fell in love with hockey because all the guys would just get together every night. And if we weren't playing road hockey, we were playing mini sticks or we were watching hockey. Yeah, shooting pucks. Yeah, good old that, good old mini sticks, eh? It's awesome, yeah, it's man. The best. <laughs> and uh, at that age, you're just having fun. Like you, you love hockey, so you want to play all the time, and you you love hanging out with your buddies, and you're kind of starting to get a sense of team. So that's kind of when I really fell in love with the game. Like I've always played since I was like four years old, but that's when it kind of uh, clicked in for me. Yeah. And then I think that competitiveness really set in in that Bantam year because you realize you're only a couple of years out of junior. So I knew I wasn't strong enough yet and I had to get faster. So I had, we had a mutual coach actually, uh, Ryan Town, and he kind of helped me out with uh, telling me what I needed to do. I needed to get faster. I needed to get stronger. So that's when I really started working out and practicing more away from the rink. Yeah. Uh, just trying to get better all the time. Right. No, for sure. I, I didn't realize Talon actually played a little role in that for you and back in Bantam. Uh, that, yeah. So yeah, he kind of smartened me up a little bit. I had to, I had to get faster and I had to get a lot stronger because uh, I wasn't so much that first year of Bantam. And then I came back a lot better that second year. And uh, I kind of started to find my identity as a player a little bit. I knew I wasn't going to be a goal scorer or put up a bunch of points. So yep. I kind of set my role as someone who would get under people's skin, win big face-offs, uh, always be out at the end of the game and uh contribute when i could offensively oh so yeah and then from that point on i I was in sun county at that time and then for my last year in triple a we went i went back to play for chatham kent yep and uh that's when we had a really strong team so we were actually the only team to ever play in the ohl cup from there and we were semi-finalists so we played really good. Our team kind of really clicked in playoffs there, and we kept going. So this is for the Cyclones, uh, Nolan? Yeah, yeah. So my uh, they with the Cyclones in our minor midget year. Okay, no, I think yeah, I you think don't. We actually uh, had six players drafted from that team too. So oh, that's that's awesome to hear because I know like normally speaking to people, I know not too many good Cyclone teams have have came out of Chatham AAA, but I know there are a few out there that, and to hear yeah. six guys from your team drafted, that's that's quite the, the stand. Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. Um, I broke my femur in that final tournament uh, right before the draft, so yep. that kind of set me back about six months. Yeah. That... Um, then I was taken 11th round by Ottawa. They gave me a chance. Um, they really liked me before, so I knew there was a good chance I was going to end up there. Yep. I thought probably a little earlier, but no one really knew if I was going to be able to skate again and stuff. So uh, it's kind of weird from that point. And then I signed with Wheatley my first year, Yep, which was a great experience for me. I learned how to play against men, which was good. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, in my game, it's all physicality and stuff. So that league might have actually been uh, the best thing in my development in a weird way. Um, Great team. Then – after my year in junior C, I signed with Ottawa out of main camp. Had a really strong camp. Wasn't really on their radar, but really impressed them. So um, 
it was great to sign there too. Can I just, I just want to ask a question about that. I can only imagine dude, how excited you were putting like pen to paper in the Ottawa 67s oh. organization, man. Like you're probably like a kid on Christmas calling mom and dad right away. Eh? Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> they were up there watching. Um, it's kind of a whirlwind. It all kind of happened just that one time. Yeah. Going from junior C to the O is definitely a big difference. And uh, I think it was I signed him and I was playing my first game that night. Oh, that's great. And uh, so then I got sent down for that year, a development year in LaSalle. Yep. And that was a great spot too. Uh, got a lot of ice time, great development, good coaches. Uh, I can't say enough about that organization. They were great. Then I was back up with Ottawa for a couple of years. Yep. Um, we had a strong team, great coaching. Uh, we had the, the world junior coach, Andre Tierney, was our head coach. So I think I learned more in the half year he was coaching me than I have really uh, from any other coach. He's amazing, so smart, detailed. So I picked up a lot. And then kind of after that, I was uh, sent to the queue for a little bit. Yep. And then I went down and played for Caledonia, which is – Funny, I think was the best thing for my development just because uh, I kind of gained that offensive component to my game that was never really there before. Yep. Felt a lot more confident with the puck, started putting up points. Um, went to Chatham for my last year, which was awesome to stay at home. Played with my best friends, which was amazing too. They came with me from Caledonia and met a couple great friends on that team too. So that was an awesome experience. And then kind of that offensive confidence that I didn't have before I've kind of brought to Windsor and uh it's kind of stuck with me since so kind of itching just to get back on the ice I think we're gonna have a really good team next year so I'm excited yeah yeah I can only imagine just you know you're you're ready to go with uni hockey or you want to continue your career on here and now COVID hits and it's kind of put a, a little pause on things for you but um, I just want to touch on what you said, Nolan, about kind of coming back from uh, playing OHL hockey back to a junior B level uh, and about your offensive touch. Um, and I just want, you know, I, I got a little story about that myself. So my uh, first year midget uh, travel, it's three years in, in midget, right? And uh, age group. Yep. And I, uh, I, I knew I wasn't going to make the team, but I still really tried out anyway. And I really pushed myself and I was the last cut and I, I didn't make the team that year, but I still tried out. And uh, I actually got sent down to play house league, but playing house league, same, this is same, same aligns with your story. Just not, not close to the same skill set. but uh, playing house league that year really brought out an offensive touch in my game. And when I went back to travel to play the next year, I wasn't afraid to take it to the net, try different things because it worked for me in house league. So it gave me a yeah, sense for sure. it, dude, it gave me confidence. And ever since playing back that year, I was one of the top goal scorers on the midget travel my third year. So I really do believe going back sometimes, like you, you see it all the time in player development. You go, why is that organization holding that player back? Or why did they send them back? But sometimes the best thing for a player is to, to put them back, right? And then they... Yeah, it, it sucks at the time, like you're saying. But yeah. then when you look back on it, like I can look back on it a couple of years down the road now and it, you realize how good it was for your development and that it was the, the best thing that could have happened. Exactly. Like it, we're, I know, I know we're all probably excited to see, you know, uh, how this is going to turn out for you. You know, you're giving a, a shot here with the University of Windsor. Like you said, you got some score and touch now under your belt. You got some confidence to, uh, to take the puck to the net and you got a different element in your game now, right? So... Yeah, exactly. No, that's uh, that's great to hear. Can, uh, I wanted to speak a little bit about like the OHL in itself for like our listeners out there, because you know we only 
real neat. We show up, we buy our tickets, we go to the arena, we watch you guys play and, you know, we see you guys, which looks like a ton of fun out there. I can only imagine. Uh, but just what, what is like a, a week or a month kind of look like in the OHL? Like as far as um, schooling, how often you guys are on the ice, uh, how often you guys are practicing, um, like how, how involved is the coaching staff, the GMs, uh, like just with everything? Like what is it, what does what a typical week look like for an OHL player um, when you played in the O? Yeah, so usually starts off every day you have a morning workout. So we would go to our strength and conditioning gym. Yep. Uh, get a get a good workout in there. Then you usually go out for breakfast or head back home, eat breakfast, head to the rink. That practice that day could be just a flow practice. Uh, sometimes it's power play or penalty kill. If we have a game uh, that week, could be a battle battle practice. Or we had a lot of small group skill sessions too yeah. which is really good for your development that that's one thing that that league is awesome about is is skill development um there can be a lot of bus rides mixed in there depending on how many games that week the the week can look a lot different yep um lots of meetings especially day before day of you're there morning skate video before you head back uh back home to get ready for the game yep. And you're missing a lot of school, but uh, we were lucky in Ottawa because we were with a private school. So the teachers were understanding, always gave us enough time to be able to do our assignments and get them in just because they can understand what our schedule was like. And sometimes you can't make it to class if you, you got a game in Windsor that night. Yeah. Like you're, so you're like, exactly like you said, you're Ottawa 67. So you guys are a little bit out of the way with some teams. I'm sure there was some long bus rides that, you know, coming down this way to play the spits maybe. And you'd be down here, I'm sure, for the weekend. You guys would make a, a, a week trip type thing of it, probably play Winter, yeah. Sarnia, London on the way down and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. And then I think whenever you're not playing hockey, um, sometimes that's some of the most fun. You're, you're living with the guys, uh, having a good time. You're living away from home for, for the first time in your life. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, you meet a lot of new friends. Yep. And yeah, it's just a good time. No, that that's great. I know Ottawa's, you know, one of those high class organizations, like you mentioned, Nolan. You're on the phone there Wednesday with me. You're telling me about some of the individual skill skatings and different things like that. You talked about a, a skating treadmill. Um, just like what a, what other kind of world, uh, I should say, uh, provincial uh, OHL organizations. Who else is at the top? Would you say for? Um, the world class of elite organizations and what do they kind of do differently than some of the other smaller ones maybe? And, and what is it like to be a visiting team when you go into, to play the London Knights? Like, do they treat you a little bit different than maybe going to play the Barry Colts on a Thursday night? Does it look a little bit different? See, uh, the thing is in that league, there's so much parity. Every team is so good. Um, there's obviously, I think the things that set apart the best teams would be their scouting, coaching, uh, player development that that makes players want to go there so that's why London teams like that are always so good yep. that being said I don't think there's really a bad spot in the OHL to play everything's pretty good and all the organizations are really good with development because uh, that's such a focus but I would say the, the coaching the strength and conditioning stuff um, and the scouting would probably make the biggest difference yeah 
Yeah, I, I would, uh, I would agree. Like, I, I don't really, like I said, just from the outside looking in, you don't really, um, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what team you see lots of good teams, whether that's Barry's had a, a few good teams that have gone far. Those teams seem to fluctuate a little bit from year to year basis. Like you said, maybe on scouting and different things where like the Knights always kind of seem to have a good, good club on the ice. Doesn't, yeah. doesn't matter. I think they've only had like a couple bad seasons in the last 10. Like, what is it? Three Memorial Cups in 10 years. I know the Smiths also got their third uh, Memorial Cup in a 10-year span too. So, you know. Yeah, and then uh, you're speaking about, like, do they treat you any different when you're on their own? Every every organization's good. Um, You always have everything you need before the game from the other team. Yep. Um, there's never anything like really different in that respect. No, that's, that's great to hear. Like, I guess, like, do they take, like, um, I guess we tried getting this out of uh, Shivas when we had them on, him on as well. Like, do they feed you guys before the game, after the game, or is it kind of different per organization? So, yeah, that's kind of on uh, your organization. Okay. So someone's setting up your pregame meals and you guys will go together before the game. Okay. Um, and then it's on your team after, too. There's, there's always a meal waiting for you on the bus. Yep. For me, often it was Swiss Chalet, so I'll never look at that place again. Now. I've had it <laughs> way too much in my life. And I, every time I have to eat chicken and pasta, it's tough to get it down. Yeah. But um, that's because I've been eating it every day for about 12 years, I guess. The guy setting it up is like, man, I got my. I bring my whole family here for free, man. Swiss Chalet's taking care of my family. He's got like a, a coupon. He's probably got a card of some sort, a reward card. Yeah. You kids are sick and tired of eating it. Oh, that's that's awesome. I didn't realize you guys that you guys would just eat at Swish LA wherever on the road. I'm sure you know your travel. Well, yeah, it's, it depends on the team. It's a lot of Boston pizza and stuff too, and that stuff's great. But when you're on the road for four days in a week and you're eating that after every game, it gets kind of old. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know what? Like you, you can't go wrong with little Swish LA. I'm sure from the organization's perspective, they got to save a few dollars where they can, right? I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, you, I'm sure yeah, you boys exactly. can eat. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but uh, that's that's awesome. Uh, all athletes naturally put pressure on themselves. That's why, you know, you see so many ups and downs with professional hockey players, for example. Um, like, how do you explain amazing hot streaks that turn right into amazing cold streaks? And I'll, I'll just give a couple examples here. You know, like Austin Matthews uh, was just on such a tear. Mind you, he did have a little injury and whatnot, but he hasn't found the back of the net. I actually don't quote me on that. I don't know if he scored last night or not. But, you know, he's on a little bit of a streak right now. Uh, Danden off on the on the Ottawa Senators, you know, was doing so well with the Panthers and then comes over. It's a little bit different looking team. He's not going to get the same talent he had playing in Florida. Uh, but he gets that big contract that he was looking for. And maybe with the, you'll see it in NHL, right? Guys will sign these, these big contracts. And then all of a sudden they kind of have a slump once they sign that contract. Probably from just, I would think, by looking on the outside looking in, probably putting some internal pressure on themselves. I know uh, Matt Murray, when he came over to the Ottawa Senators this season as goalie, the first, you know, first half, first 10 games, eight games of the season, he really was having a tough time. And the coach DJ said, you know, he was just putting too much pressure on himself to be that guy for that team. Um, and as mentioned earlier, no, um, Nolan about, um, in the intro about your dad and uncle, both being point per games player in the OHL. I just personally, I couldn't help, but wanted like wondered, did you put any internal pressure on yourself to just be better, you know, or like, uh, just added a little bit of extra pressure knowing that, you know, your family line, dad and uncle are both uh, point per game players in the O did you maybe feel some of that pressure yourself? Did you put some of that on yourself playing in the O? 
I definitely uh, put some pressure on myself to make it. I just wanted it so bad. So working out and stuff was uh, was crucial for that. So And I was putting a lot of pressure on myself there. I've never really felt pressure uh, because of my family. They've always been really supportive. Yeah. And once I was starting to build my identity as a player, uh, it was pretty obvious. I was a lot different than my uncle and my dad. So we weren't measuring my play based on – how many points I was putting up that night or uh, how I was doing on the the power play when I was in the O. It was more about, was I physical out there? Was I winning my important face-offs? Was I getting on the score sheet some other how? Was I I taking a penalty or trying to get under someone else's skin or taking a good player with me to the box? So that's kind of the way that we started to look at it um, once I was up there. I, I, I knew I wasn't drafted for my offense. They're clear about that when I was playing. So I never really felt that pressure to produce that many points. Yep. But I always put pressure on myself to contribute to the team some other way to help win that. Yeah, that, that's great, Nolan. You can tell you come from a really great family, man, to, to not only like to just work alongside you with that and to just know how to get the most and best out of you as a hockey player and, and never made you feel like any pressure that way. You know, I – I I'll give an example of my son last night. We were playing hockey at the arena in Tilbury and it was a pickup game and he had all the older kids shooting on him and goalie and he comes to the bench to get a drink of water. I'm like, buddy, you're doing awesome. He's like, dad, it's eight one. He's like, I let in eight goals. I said, yeah, but you're still playing like it's two one. I don't care how many goals you let in as long as you play to your, to just keep trying and giving it your best effort. That's all that matters. Right. And yeah, exactly. It's just about getting a little bit better. Exactly. And I think that's so important that you said, you know, your your parents uh, just said that to you. Just You guys measured it differently. They're looking at puck battles, winning those one-on-one battles in the corner, face-offs, you know, the attention to details in the game. It's not always about point production and things like that. And that's, uh, that's an awesome point to bring up, Nolan, uh, for our listeners. Um, when uh, you and I caught up earlier in the week, you talked about uh, the game you got to play at the Canadian Tire Center, um, uh, the Ottawa Senators Arena. It was a packed barn. Um, could you ex- share what that experience was like? Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's one of the games that really sticks out for me. Obviously, playoff games and stuff were a little more exciting uh, once you got into the first round and stuff. But for a mid-season game, playing in front of that many fans, and it's all kids, so they're all excited to be out of school that day. It's a school day yeah. game, and they're screaming. Uh, it's pretty crazy. It's really loud in there for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm sure. I, I know you mentioned you you got a goal in the game, and uh, I could I could just imagine like you know all that stress and the hard work that comes with uh, playing in the OHL. It probably just fades away the second that puck crosses the goal line. Like this, it's all worth just fighting. Oh, yeah, just fight. Simple goal yeah. for sure. Uh, gaining all the experience you have now in hockey, Nolan, if you could go back to your very first OHL game, what would you tell yourself before the big game? Um, I think just, just enjoy it. Soak it all in. Um, you, you think about it when I'm playing junior C the year before, I'm just thinking every game that I wish I was playing for Ottawa. So it was just a great experience for me. And I was just really itching to get out there. So I would just say, enjoy it, take it all in. Um, you learn so much from that league. A lot of, not just on the ice either, a lot of valuable life lessons that you get. I mean, you go into the league a kid, you're 15, 16, and you kind of leave a man once you're done junior hockey at yep. 20. So 
I think it's just about going in and enjoying it. Um, that's what I would tell myself. Oh, that, that's awesome. That's a, definitely a great look. Um, talking uh, to you, getting to know you, Nolan, um, it's really cool story about this uh, company you and your buddy started. I know he's a, a lifelong friend. You mentioned earlier uh, you guys started your own uh, clothing company called Broken Tees. Um, do you just want to uh, go into a little detail about um, how that all kind of came together and what you guys purpose and what you guys are doing with that Broken Tees company? Yeah, for sure. So uh, to me and my friend Brendan Harrogate, grew up playing with him and shot him. Then I played against him all the way through uh, the OHL and junior, and now he's at Western, so playing against each other in, uh, in university. We always talked about wanting to start a clothing company, and when we were on a trip, we came up with the idea for Broken Tees. Um, it's a golf casual company, so we, right now we have T-shirts and a lot of cool yeah. hats. Um we're planning on coming out with some polos and stuff. So there should be some exciting things coming up in that front soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I could say anything to the listeners, it'd just be to follow us on Instagram, uh, broken tees apparel. Yeah. And then you can find our website, broken apparel.com. So we got some pretty cool stuff. Uh, I think people would okay, like it. No, that's awesome, dude. We'll have to, we'll have to give it a look and check it out for sure. It's just uh, awesome to, to see you continuing to grind out your career, Nolan, with the University of Windsor Lancers. I know um, you got to play some uh, big games against some D1 schools uh, from the States. Michigan Wolverines is just one to mention. Um, we wish you all the best going forward and know that you make a lot of people back home proud, man. I, I can only imagine the grind and uh, it is to get to where you are now. And it's just uh, keep it up, bud. Keep, uh, keep working hard. Stick on the ice, they always say, right? And keep, uh, keep plugging away, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This is a lot yeah, of fun. definitely, dude. If uh, we'll have to try and get you back on a future date, you're a great, uh, great guest to have on, Nolan, and uh, all the best from uh, Rye, Steph, and myself at the podcast. All right, thanks. Yeah, see guys. you, buddy. Once again, special thanks to Nolan. Uh, good luck with you with all the the broken tees and all that stuff you got going on, and uh, best of luck in the future, bud. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, so going from that, we got some sadder side of the news here. We're going to send it over to Rod to bring that. Uh, passing of a great hockey man here the last weekend that passed by. Yeah, as, as uh, you said there, great hockey guy there, Steph, and I'm sure everybody's heard by now, but uh, Walter Gretzky passed away uh, last week. Um, obviously the father of, uh, of Wayne Gretzky, probably the best, well, not probably, but is the best hockey player ever. Um, but I think, you know, what speaks to, to Walter – is, you know, everybody knows who Wayne Gretzky is, but I think everybody also knows who Walter is. You always, everybody always seen him around the ranks, and he was always involved in his community, especially here in Ontario. Um, you know, it seemed like everybody had a story about Walter. You know, even us, uh, I remember, you know, in our playing days, I remember we were playing in, in uh, Blenheim, Ontario, uh, where his grandson was playing at the time, and we were getting ready for the game, and his grandson was on uh, the ice before us and we were we were getting dressed and he just comes in looking for something that his grandson left behind and and took the time to say hi to a, to a bunch of us and uh, you know that was the thing is that you know his autograph is worth nothing and I mean that in the, in the the nicest way possible because he would spend so much time with everybody signing autographs taking pictures shaking your hand talking to you just, you know, everything that, uh, you know, anybody who ever wanted to, to spend some time with him, he always had time for people. Um, just one of the best talkie dads uh, ever to live. So 
Uh, it's sad to see him go, but I know that uh, he'll be fondly remembered by the whole hockey community. Just to touch on that, right? Like you said, like he, he took the time to sign any autograph, do anything you wanted. Like I got one sign on a goalie stick from him uh, back in the old Dresden Arena there. And uh, I probably thought it was Wayne knowing, my, <laughs> knowing, knowing me, but hey, he still took the time. He signed it for me. And yeah, he's going to be a miss and definitely a legend. So uh, just another hockey god to add on to the rest of them up there. For sure. Now let's go to, uh, I guess I was going to say some lighter side of the things, but I really don't know if this is a lighter side or maybe it is, depending on which which way you look at it. But uh, down in Calgary there, once again, another coaching change. <laughs> what do you, like Rye said earlier when we were talking, the old carousel over there. This is uh fourth coach of five years. Like, uh, you, you got to start asking yourself, like, for me, the first question is, like, is it the coach? Like, is this really going to be the problem? Because four, uh, four years, five five years, four different coaches, it hasn't seemed to work out yet. So I don't know if you can keep just chasing the coach like that. But Sittler's in there right now. Uh, obviously, the guy's got, got a street cred, hard-nosed guy. He's just uh, expects guys to work hard. Comes from a family of hockey players, too, so – been around the NHL for a long time, playing, coaching, done all that. He's seen a couple Stanley Cups, seen some finals, conference finals. So, obviously, he's got the uh, the resume for the job. But, like like I said, is I don't know if it's if it's really the coach is going to change anything that's going on in Calgary. Uh, what do you think there, Ryan? Yeah, it's, I mean, like you said, four coaches in five years. They, they had, uh, after they fired Bob Hartley, they came in with uh, uh, Glenn Gullitson, uh, they had him for a bit, and they came in with Bill Peters. Obviously, everybody knows what happened with with Bill Peters. Um, and he was let go, and uh, they brought in Jeff Ward on on a uh, interim basis, and he was recently let go. And now you're bringing in uh, Daryl Sutter, uh, who has most recently coached with the LA Kings. Um, you know, it's an interesting thing for me. It feels like Trave Living there, the GM in Calgary's brought in a bunch of coaches that are all going to have you know, pretty similar messages. Uh, you know, Bob Hartley uh, was a pretty hard-nosed coach. Glenn Gullitson, very similar style. Um, you know, I wouldn't say they're really players' coaches was, uh, per se. Was Gullitson the one that was like uh, – was threw a stick over the glass or whatever in that practice? Yes, like, I believe like so. Hunt stick at the glass or whatever? Yeah, yeah. That yeah, guy. I believe that was him. That guy was a calm uh, cookie. What's that? He was a calm cookie, eh, that guy? Yeah, yeah him and then – you know, Bill Peters, you know, regardless of the, the racism and the abusive stuff that he did with Akeem Alu and, and all that stuff, uh, he was a hard-nosed coach. He was a, a uh, Mike Babcock uh, protege. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, obviously he was Makes very hard-nosed. Um, and now you're bringing in, you know, Jeff Ward, who was an assistant at the time, and he wasn't an easygoing guy. And now you're bringing in Daryl uh, Sut- sorry, Daryl Sutter, um, who, you know, everybody remembers from, from them, their, his time in L.A. Yeah, he, he won the two Cups there um, during their heyday there in the early uh, 2010s. But, you know, again, another hard-nosed, hard-nosed coach. The one thing I will say about Sutter, from what I heard, uh, you know, as you know, Steph, I used to work with uh, Kyle Clifford's dad, who was obviously a member of those teams that won those Stanley Cups. And Not I a remember big him... deal, eh? A little name drop there. Yeah, I remember – I remember uh, him saying that, uh, you know, Sutter would kind of leave you alone on your on your off days and 
uh, wouldn't bother you too much. But when it came time to come to the rink, you better work hard and bring your work boots. Because uh, and if not, then you're not going to play. His time, you're on his time. Yeah, and he appreciated the the hard nosed guys. Um, you know, Kyle Clifford, like I said, being a being a hard nosed guy, being the captain. Yeah, Dustin Brown being the captain, uh, Kyle getting the opportunity to play, you know, other than fourth line minutes, getting up to the second line at times. He really appreciates that kind of grinding type of player. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in Calgary. But like you said, I don't think it's a it's a coach problem. I think it's a personnel problem. Uh, that's that comes back down to tree living. Um, you know, I think the core of players there need a shakeup. I don't think Bonahan's uh, good enough. I don't think. Goudreau's it kind of feels like Giordano has lost the room a little bit. Like, where you think, like, two, three years ago, like, he really had control of that room, and, like, it was definitely his team, where it kind of feels like there's nobody really being, like, the veteran. Like, nobody's really got a stranglehold on the team, like, as a veteran. No, yeah, it seems like Giordano's gotten a little quieter, and I don't know what it is, like, if it's a lack of uh, veteran presence um, or what the what the case is, but it seems like – the room's divided a little bit, obviously, with, you know, after the thing with Kachuk happened with uh, Jake Muzzin. I know they had some meetings afterwards, and the team basically told Kachuk to, you know, calm down. You can't be getting in, like, a full-out blowout every game type of deal. And I think Kachuk, that's what he lives off of. So, obviously, there's some divide in the room. Um, I just don't think it's a coach problem. Obviously, Jeff Ward was a, a casualty of the situation. But, uh, it'll be, like I said, be interesting to see what Daryl Sutter does. but. I just don't think that that's going to solve any problems. It's Trey Living's really got to look at the the core guys and and make some changes. I think. What uh? So what are we going to do with that story, right? We're going to keep an eye on it. That a boy. That a boy. That a boy. I was wondering if I lost you there for a sec, but welcome back to the pod, eh? Welcome back. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, sir. Yes, yeah, sir. Right, so from uh. From there, we're gonna stay on that side of the uh, that side of the country, I guess. But we're gonna throw a little Toronto action in there. Uh, we're gonna to go to that Toronto Leafs, uh, or Toronto Edmonton series. Sorry there, and uh, we're gonna bounce into that and get, we're gonna send it to Ryan get Ryan's opinion on what he thought about that. Well, I mean, it's it's uh, looking back on it, you know, obviously it was uh, it almost feels like another season ago after what's happened since then, but. Uh, you know, they've definitely played well. They they keep McDavid off the scoreboard for three straight games. Only the third time in his career that, uh, that that's happened that he hasn't gotten a point in three games, which is absolutely crazy. Um, and then Dreisaitl keeping him to one point in three games really just dominated uh, Edmonton for three straight when, you know, everybody was really high on Edmonton being probably the best team in the division. And, you know, being a Leafs fan, again, I'm biased, but it seems like the Leafs haven't gotten that kind of love, I guess, just because – they, you know, they've been good for a few years now, just not pulling it through in the playoffs. But, you know, at the start of the season, it was the Habs and how they were the best team in the division. And then Edmonton goes on their run. And all of a sudden, they're the best team in the division and the Habs fall off. Yet, you know, the Leafs have been at the top pretty much the whole time. Um, but, you know, that's that's fine. I think everybody understands the the Leafs need to, to do something to the playoffs in order to get their get their respect. So I get that. But. Yeah, no, it was a it was a good good. I mean, that's the best three games they probably played. What uh, what do you think it was? Do you think it was like goaltending? Do you think it was more of like a mix of just like you guys having a good team effort that kept that like McDavid and Drysdale off the go off the score sheet? Or I think think if you look back at those games, they played very solid defensively. I don't. I mean, obviously they were scoring goals, so that helps. But 
Um, you know, they didn't give up, you know, the shots were fairly average, you know, around in the upper twenties. I think a couple of games, one of the games was, you know, 31 or something like that. But, you know, we had three different goalies in that series. Hutch played one game. Campbell played one game. Anderson played one game, uh, two shutouts out of those. And the, they were both from the second and third goalies. Um, but I it really, honestly, it, it felt like, Edmonton was never really dangerous. It never felt like they had anything in tight grade A scoring quality chances. And when they did, uh, the goalies were able to come through for us. And I think that was just because they weren't able to do it a whole lot through the game. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'd be interested to see what the, uh, the grade A quality scoring chances were for Edmonton in those three games. Cause I can't I'm imagine. Gonna they say, had a whole uh, lot. I'm going to say not, not a lot because I, I'm just assuming that McDavid and Drysdale don't miss too many high grade A opportunities when they're handed out to him. You know what I mean? Right. So to me, yeah, it was just a good team defensive play. They were really good at slowing them down in the neutral zone. Um, and that really helped. And, and Edmonton wasn't able to to get a cycle going. That was basically the those three games, um, which was all fine and dandy. And then, you know, after that, you go to Vancouver. Well, yeah. And- so now this is going to lead us into uh, – <laughs> Before you, the old Leaf fan comes out of you, you start going off on him here. But uh, we're gonna send it to you another for another ad read, real quick, and then we'll let yeah, you, then we'll let you spit your spit your talk here. It's probably a good idea because I don't want to be all riled up while I'm saying the ad read. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know that we're gonna, you know, as as normal, we got the Who Wore the Pylon segment is going to be brought to you by Retro Twenty One um, Barbershop and Hair Salon. Go see Tiff if you haven't got a chance to see her, guys. Uh, check her out on Facebook. She's super busy. I know she's been booked up for a while, so obviously uh, you'll have to be patient. Uh, but obviously that tells you how good of a job she does cutting hair for the lads and the gals. Um, you know, whether it's uh, the fade for the boys or you want to get trimmed up to get that lettuce trimmed up or if the girls, you know, you want to get a dye job done or uh, your roots done or, or whatever the case is, Tiff is the person to go see at Retro 21 Barbershop and Hair Salon. Check them out on Facebook. And uh, book your appointment today. Make sure you get in uh, earlier than later because, yeah, she is booking up well in advance. Hey, that's uh, that's the type of profession there where if they're busy, that's usually a good thing. That's right. Yeah, you don't want to uh, you don't want to go to somebody who's got uh, free opening for the next two yeah, weeks. Yeah, they've got no hair on their head but an open seat. Eh? You don't want you don't want to trust <laughs> someone like that. You don't want to trust someone <laughs> like that. <laughs> so that being said, that brings us up into our pylon segment here. Uh, I'm going to let Rye just go off here because it was on the tip of his tongue there before I cut him off. So, Rye, uh, yeah, just, I mean, I think the first game against Vancouver, I'm giving my pile on to the Leafs. I think that's pretty, pretty self-explanatory, but the, for those two games against Vancouver, but I mean, the first one I'll give him a pass on, uh, you know, you're coming off of a back-to-back, uh, fourth game in five nights, um, with travel, the going from Edmonton to Vancouver, uh, tired bunch. I get it. I understand you lose like that one. The most prolific offensive guys in the league off the score sheet. Yeah, so I, I get it. That that one's understandable. The next one, though, on on Saturday night, that one was a little tougher to swallow. You're up two one, and then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, it's three uh, two in the in the third period, and the, and they end up losing that one as well. You know, you look at Vancouver; they're second last in the division. Obviously, they still got a good hockey team, but. Um, you know, it was tough. You, you, like you said, you, you hold off the best two offensive players and probably the NHL off the score sheet, basically outside of one assist to dry sidle. 
and you you lose two straight to Vancouver. It just that whole road trip now has a sour taste in your mouth after playing starting so well against Edmonton. Um, you know that being said, I know I know Vancouver's second last, but they uh, they've been playing well recently. They beat Montreal last night in a shootout, um, so that's three straight for them. So. I mean, we got to give them a little credit, but my pile on definitely goes to the Leafs. If you're going to be the number one team in your division, you need to beat teams that are second last, and you can't lose two in a row to the same team That's after beating last. Edmonton absolutely three straight. Not. No, absolutely yeah. not. Completely agree with you there, Ryan. Uh, the thing that surprised me with that is more like the the lack of offense they they had in those two games. Like not necessarily because they didn't give up big goal numbers again. So it's just like they they weren't really, didn't really put any like offense on the board at all. And like, they just didn't do a whole lot of anything. And like, we, we were it wasn't good. It wasn't there on Saturday, and like all of a sudden, like you said, it was two one. And next thing you know, we turned our head, woke back up, and it's it's three two before you know it. And it's like I, I don't know why why the offense wasn't there, what's going on there, but hopefully that turns around tonight, and we'll see what happens. So yeah, for sure. I mean, I, that's the big thing, right? They got to turn. They got a big series coming up against Winnipeg. Starting tonight, they're probably just dropping the puck a couple of minutes ago. So that'll be the that'll be the test. This is the big one. This is Winnipeg's on their heels. They got to stay in front of them. They need three good solid games here. Who uh, who wore your pylon stuff? We're gonna we're gonna send mine over to uh, that dink of a man, Frederick or whatever his name is in Boston. Don't even care to learn the guy's name because he's that big of a plug, <laughs> that big of an absolute loser. Like who's who's this guy trying to coerce Ovi into dropping the gloves? Like like Ovi's even got the time of day. To eat. like the, the guy's lucky to be skating on the same ice as Ovi. Let alone trying to get Ovi to fight him. Like what a joke of a dude this guy is. And obviously everyone saw what happened later on in that game, which we're gonna get into here in a, in a couple of minutes. But like I thought, like absolute just stuff of a man. Like get 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 off the ice, leave Ovi alone, and hey, go back to the AHL, bud. Get out of here. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I mean, it's, it's it's funny. It's well, it's funny, but it's too bad of what happened. But it was just like, why was he trying to follow him? Like, whatever. Yeah. Well, let's take it there. Let's take let's take it there. Let's take it to what Ovi did, and just uh, what happened in that Boston, uh, uh, Washington, like two game set. I think it was this weekend. And uh, yeah. first of all, let's go to Ovi Spear. Five thousand dollars suspension. The old drop in the bucket, as some would say, eh? Like, like that, that, yeah, that's, like a, a, that's a McDonald's like order a, for one of us. Yeah, it's like a thirty dollar ticket to your average person or something yeah, like yeah. that. I think someone did the math: sixteen dollars and change or something like that. It came up to. If that's all it would cost me to go around spearing people in the nuts all day, I would literally just nonstop carry a hockey stick and just spear people in the nuts. My list would be a lot shorter. <laughs> that's for sure that's for sure do you play movie uh i mean if it's a cheap shot but at the same time just because it's ovi and being a fan of his like watching him do it i was kind of like that was he just like looked him dead funny. in the eyes and just like licked him in the <laughs> eyes and he's like i'm about to spear you right in the nuts but be ready and then just bam yeah. just like <laughs> It's kind of funny, I guess, because you look how you look at players differently. Because if, like, Brad Marchand did that, I'd probably think he was, like, you know what I mean, the dirtiest player alive. Uh, Honestly, I'd be like classic Marchand is what I would say. Classic Marchand. Yeah, but for Ovi, it was kind of just, like, surprising, but also, like, kind of awesome. Not that I'm saying saying that, you know, people should be spearing people like that, but 
it was kind of just, I don't know, it was a funny scenario, kind of. I'm sure it wasn't funny to get on the other end of well, that. I but... wonder if that kid, like, checked the game notes. Like, did he not see what happened to the last guy that wanted to fight over you? Like, did he not did he not check the game notes on Spetsnikov there? Yeah. I, I, think, I think he might still be sleeping. I say that's a clone that's up there right now playing for him. Very possible. Yeah, I think I think he's still sleeping back of the back of the arena there in Carolina. <laughs> they got him on ice. It was it kind of reminded me of old time hockey, right? Like back in the seventies and eighties, that was more of a regular thing. Guys swinging the sticks and yeah, looking in the, the eye and let you have some lumber for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. yeah, back when it was actually lumber. Old time hockey, eh? old time hockey. Yeah. Yeah, not not that I'm uh, like I said, not that I'm uh, promoting uh, spearing people in the nuts, but it was pretty funny. Absolutely, absolutely. So from there, uh, what do you think about the Wilson hit? Seven games. I found that a little heavy. Like you know, it, it was a big hit. He really kind of seemed like he came off his shoulders and just kind of rode more into the head. It didn't seem like the head was a direct target to me. And like seven games, that's heavy. Like such a short season. Like you think about it, that's an eighty-two game season. How many games are they giving him? Well, at least 10, right? I would think. think. Um, apparently, it's the longest suspension for a boarding call that was ever face-to-face because he wasn't hit from behind. Most, no. times, when guys, most times when guys get uh, boarding suspensions, it's from behind. Um, so, still, uh, that's a tough one for me. I understand the boarding call, but he what? it's not like he charged him. Uh, to me, it's just a big hit. Like, yes. so Ovi, I've seen the quote after uh, Ovi said it was a joke that uh, that he got uh, that Wilson got suspended for seven games for that. He like he went to the ref after the play, and the refs like I didn't even think it was a two, and like there was no penalty called on the play. Um, so to get seven games, there's some disconnect there between how the game's officiated and uh, what the you know what the Department of Player Safety are, are looking at, but. Well, and some of it seems like it's uh has a little bit to do with the name on the back of the sweater too. Like you see that hit thrown time and time again in every NHL game, every single night. Some are just bigger than others, but they're all thrown in that same kind of manner. And it's like they they, they come through the shoulders, they get a little bit early above the body, and it slides up into the head. But there was no like direct contact. There's no like you said, no charging, no elbows were up. Like there was absolutely nothing but like. A good, a good hit, a good clean hockey hit, some old time hockey no. like you were saying there, and it's like literally the suspension has nothing to do with the the head. It's it's because he hit him into the boards and they weren't they were too far away from the boards. Like that's, that's the literally boards are there for to stop you. Well, I guess I don't know. Uh, they're saying that if you look uh, at that just... hit, he he ain't too far away from the boards. Like he he's he's not even a foot off the boards. It doesn't even look like. By the time no, I mean, made, they're pretty much on the glass. The NHL is making it seem like either we want open ice hits or hits that where players are already along the boards. Otherwise, you're going to get suspended, apparently. I don't, I don't know. I well, had no problem with the hit. Let's make this thing like a soccer field then, I guess. Yeah. yeah like, I, 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 I thought it was a good hit. Um, seven games is harsh. That's uh, a 56-game season. Well, yeah, and that's a lot. I mean, that's not a little amount, a little, a little amount of money. He makes like five million a year, so I don't know what yeah. that equates to total. But I mean, that's that's a lot of money to be given up for for what a lot of people think is a clean hit. So it's, uh, yeah. I think you're right. Where you said like there's definitely a disconnect, and uh, I think there needs to be something done about that. But you know, once again, we'll keep an eye on that. We're gonna keep things moving here a little bit. Uh, 
So from there, we're gonna go to another top five. Coming back at you with just another another top five segment here. This week we're gonna go top five goalies in the league at the moment. Uh, I'm gonna send it over to you, Rye. We're probably gonna have a couple here that are the same, but I think we're gonna have a couple different in here. So let, let's hear what you got, and if you want to explain why, give her. So I'm gonna start at five and work my way to one. Um, five. Yeah, so number five, I'm going to go with uh, Philip Grubauer, uh, kind of an under-the-radar under, under the radar type of goaltender. But in the NHL right now, uh, you know, you look you're look at the Colorado Avalanche, what they're doing this year. Realistically, they're not doing anything with, without him. Um, looking like he's a real solid piece there. It'd be interesting to see what happens in the offseason. But if you look at his numbers, his wins, everything else like that, to me, he's number five in the NHL right now. Number four, four. as much as I hate to uh, admit it, uh, he, the history of, of everything he's done in Boston, uh, obviously having a good backup in Hawaii certainly helped him so he can have some rest and time off. But, uh, again, you look at his numbers, you look at his consistency throughout his career, um, he's, he's a top five goalie in the league for sure. He's my number four. Uh, number three, I am going to go with uh, last year's uh, Vesna winner, Connor Hellebuck. And, you know, again, you look at what Winnipeg's doing this year. You look at Hellebuck's numbers. Very solid. Won the Vesna last year. It's got to be a top five goal in the league. It is what it is. Like, it's just, there's no denying he's not a top five goal in the league right now. Uh, number two, a little bit of a throwback, uh, but Mark andre Fleury. If you look at the season this guy's having, he's got a sub two goals against. His save percentage is like 940. Um, obviously, you know, again, you look at his history, he's got a cup, uh, a couple cups. Um, you know, he comes into Vegas and plays really well. Seems Best like he's a mile in the game. Oh, yeah. It looks like he loses his job to Robin Leonard, and now all of a sudden he's got it back. Um, you look at the controversy there was last year when the whole Robin Leonard thing happened, and uh, you know it looks like Flurry's going to get traded. Then all of a sudden he's putting out that uh, that tweet <laughs> with the big sword going through the back, right? Yeah. And yeah, to me, like it seemed like his his time in Vegas was probably over, and now all of a sudden he's their starter again because uh, Leonard's having a tough season, and Flurry's looking like the Flurry of old, like he's playing for Team Canada World Juniors again, like he's. He's looked uh, really solid. So right now in the, in the NHL, he's my number two. Expansion draft uh, is going to be uh, it's going to be a fun one to watch on that side of things over there. Oh, it's there's going to be a lot of players I think that uh, you don't expect are going to end up on that Seattle team. And uh, unfortunately for every other team out there, uh, they're going to be just like Vegas. They're going to be a wagon right off the start. And I mean that's good for Seattle. Good for Seattle and their their fans that they're going to have. Um, bad, for bad, news for, <laughs> bad for the rest of the league. Good luck. Yeah, it uh, it's it is what it is. But and uh, and number one on my list, Andre Vasilevsky. Uh, you know, you look at the team in Tampa. They got. I'm glad the Leafs aren't in that division. Uh, um, you know, Tampa is just so good again, even without Kucherov. Uh, Stan Ghost has come in back back this year and played really well. They still have great D, uh, D men with Headman and. Um, you know, that, that kid they got from Montreal and, and everybody else they got back there. And then you look at his numbers and shutouts and career. He's got a Stanley Cup now. Uh, he's big. He's fast. He can move. Um, he's His reflexes are really strong. To me, he's number one in the NHL just with, you know, with everything, all that being considered, plus his uh, resume and 
Um, just his numbers in general. Yeah, he's he's number one for sure. I think a lot of people are going to talk about how uh, uh, Price isn't on that list, but to me, he hasn't been good in three years. I know there's been some injuries and stuff uh, in the meantime, but I can't remember the last time he was good. It's been a while. So, like, until he says otherwise, I know, you know, TSN and Sportsnet and all these other panels are saying they still have him as the top Canadian goaltender and all this other stuff. But to me, it's like, guys, we got to move on from that. He hasn't shown that he's been that player in a long time. So until he does, he's not on my list. I'm uh, I'm going to be riding on that same bus there, Mr. McLean, because, uh, yeah, I hate to tell you folks, but he ain't on my list either. So, yeah, we're going to go from uh, number five to one, just like Rye. Uh, number five, we're going to come in with uh, this Blackwood cat coming out of New Jersey. I know this is a little early, and I might, I might be beating my words in a year or two. Who knows? But this guy, man, I've watched, for some reason, I've watched way too many New Jersey games. <laughs> I mean way too many New Jersey games. But uh, every time every time I put the tube on, man, this guy's impressing me. His numbers are, they're decent numbers. They're not gaudy numbers, but, like, he, he is playing in New Jersey, so you got to give him a little, a little respect for that. But uh, definitely a cat to keep your eye out. Definitely a guy who thinks like easily going to be one of the bigger names for for the back end for the netminders here in the, in the following couple of years here for sure. Um, behind him, got to go with Tuca. I'm a big Tuca guy. Always have been. Uh, his numbers this year though, like he's he's got to kind of turn turn the corner here a little bit. But like he like Ryan said, like his resume speaks for himself. He he hasn't fallen off like Price has in the last few years. So you can't like have that argument against it. And there's still lots of hockey left this year, so yeah, I got, I got him slotted at four. Every and, time, uh, I think, every time I think Rask is done and he's washed up, he has a really good season. So I, yeah. I'm, and if he doesn't have a great season, he just like lays it down in the playoffs with like stupid numbers under twos, like GAAs and stuff like that, like just absolutely gross numbers. He shows up at the right time. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, number three here. I'm gonna go with Marstro. I'm gonna I'm gonna ride or die on this hill, right? Like I'm doing it. I'm dying on this sword of Marstro, bro. Like I just I believe in the guy. I really think that there's just so much going on in Calgary right now that like I know he got hurt there and shit, but there's still so much going on in front of him. I really do think he's one of the best goalies in the league right now, and just uh, they gotta get figured out in front of him for that to be proven. But number two, gotta go with Hellebuck. As the winner last year, big body, American born, if I'm not mistaken. Got to, got to, got to give some love on the other side of the border every now and then, you know. And uh, the guy's proven it. I just think as he hasn't gotten it done in the playoffs, that's kind of what holds him back. Um, if he could ever get it done in the playoffs, I mean, we're talking about probably the best American goalie he'd ever played, maybe, maybe, maybe be in that conversation. Um, he'd be number, up there. Then number one. It's obviously Big V, Vasilevsky. The guy's the guy's just a straight stud. Like he he plays he plays a big body game, but he moves like a six foot goalie. Uh, he's got good reflexes, reads the puck well, controls the rebound as well. Uh, just yeah, there's nothing really bad you can say about the guy's game. You can say he always a big goalie. Get him to move. He moves brilliantly. He keeps his arms tight. His legs closed. Not many holes to find on that cat. So yeah, until Vasilevsky slows down or. Maybe they stop putting a stud defenseman like Victor Hedman in front of him. Maybe maybe we'll see a flaw, but at this point, I really don't see a flaw in the kid's game. So, yeah, Vasilevsky's got to take the number one board there no matter what, I'd say. I feel like he's kind of been quietly been number one probably for a few years. Absolutely. I know, I know we won a Vesna a couple years ago, but I feel like 
he's just – I mean, the Tampa's just so good. I feel like he's just another guy on their team, but – Yeah, they're going to give him the old Chris Osgood treatment. Well, exactly. It, uh, I feel like, yeah, he's just he's just solid. He's just, like you said, big. He can move. Making a move doesn't do anything because it's so long and quick. Like, he just covers up the whole bottom of the net. Yeah. Uh, good blocker, good glove hand. He doesn't do anything poorly, so. It's hard, it's hard to find, find a flaw when you really look at his game. Like, you just break it down. And like, yeah, you don't really, you don't really see where where you can beat the guy on every given any given shot or any given night. Like, you know what I mean? He's going to have bad nights like any goal. He is beatable. Like, don't get it wrong there. But just his weaknesses are a lot more uh, minimal than most. He doesn't have, like, one blaring weakness. Like, you know, yeah, like Freddy's I think. Freddie's blocker. <laughs> Fred, well, even just high on Freddie. Like, blocker, <laughs> glove, no matter. Um, if you shoot high, more than likely, not more than likely, it's going to. That's bad. Hard to stop a puck when you close your eyes, eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he needs to. He needs to be better when the shots are fired high. Um, but a, along along the, the bottom of the net, he's great. But yeah, I not not so good. Vasilevsky, like you said, he's going to have his off nights and goals are going to go in. But it's not like he has one weakness. You know, whether it's glove or block or five hole or whatever, um, he's just good all the way around. So, speaking of uh, Friday, there we're gonna we're gonna wrap things up here with uh, another section of bold predictions here and i know uh, i know it seems like we jump on to jump on the leash uh and give them the old two two pop and dump a lot but you know the it's, it's hard not to talk about it when they're buzzing and they are top of the north division and we are canadian so we're, we're gonna go with a bold leaf prediction this week and uh i'm gonna send it to the uh the resident leaf fan here because i'm expecting something big from you not it's like something major league from you rye so Let's see. Let's see if the kid can bring the noise here with something bold, and uh, let's see what the guy's got. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, I got a lot of ideas to float around, but there's like actually <laughs> in that head of yours, one. I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah, to to commit to one or two, that's uh, that's tough. Because, um, like I said, if you know if one of these happens, the other one's not going to happen. Um, All right. Let's, so let's do let's do that one then. Let's do that one. Okay, so there's been a lot of a lot of smoke out there. Obviously, Buffalo has been really struggling this year, and I think they're about to blow up their team again. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how Jack Eichel feels about that, but um, it sounds like they're going to do a be doing a full rebuild. There's a lot Are of uh, a lot of saying he looks like the guy from Home Alone. <laughs> yeah. Every amazing. year, Absolutely. every year, slowly but surely, taking the uh, the life out of Jack Eichel. Oh, he's going to have a nervous breakdown soon. Yeah. Well, I think the same things happened in Edmonton too. Like if they uh, somehow miss the playoffs this year again, like they're going to be, they're going to be in trouble too. But no, there's, there's a lot of smoke out there uh, that uh, Taylor Hall could get dealt and that the Leafs may be a spot for him to go. Um, To me, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Obviously it'd be tricky making the dollars work. Uh, Buffalo would probably have to retain half the money. Um, and then you're you're talking about sending a guy like Kerfoot and probably some prospects back. Um, but again, like Taylor Hall's not having a great season. It's just his potential as a, as a good player. So that that would be my one prediction that they could bold prediction that they could get a deal like that done. Uh, the other the other there are a couple other names out there. So I don't want to say that it's just Taylor Hall. I, I guess my bold prediction will be that they make a splash and they make a deal for a for a high end player. It's not going to just be some fourth line guy or depth piece. I really feel like they're going to make a splash for a big player. 
Uh, Taylor Hall could be one of them. Uh, I've heard the name Philip Forsberg a lot. That would be a really big deal. For are we elite. talking a deadline splash or maybe, maybe a, week, a week or two before? Or what are we thinking? I, I, Dubis has been known to get stuff done in advance. He got the Muzzin deal done like a yeah, month I before. Yeah, it was a sex too, I heard. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think I think it gets done beforehand. Uh, it doesn't make sense uh, for the Leafs to to do it on deadline day just for the fact that, if, especially if they're dealing with an American team, uh, they got the 14-day quarantine rule. And you're, so, you not, so you trade for the player, and then he's got to uh, sit for 14 days, and then you finally get him into game action. Um, so that, then you got to consider that when you're paying out these assets to get these players. Hey, so the Leafs got to me, money they, just buy one of those vaccines. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know if that would work though. I think they still would have to set them. I have no idea, but to me, they get something done sooner than later. It wouldn't surprise me if it's in the next couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, no, Philip Forsberg's another name oh, that's been out there. Name that's on a Canadian team then. Canadian team. Uh, well, I mean, American it's not a team coming over that. You got to give me Canadian one then. Yeah, it's not. It's not a big splash, but I've heard obviously Sam Bennett is one um, that that has be been mentioned. Move, though, no? Yeah, and, and to me, it just doesn't move the needle enough. So that's not a that's not a big splash player. Think you I don't think there's like any wheeler or somebody away if Winnipeg doesn't like make the playoffs and they're not in a spot like. In the off season, maybe, but I don't see him doing it this contract. season. There, yeah, I don't see him doing it uh, during during the season. There's nobody really in the Canadian division that I think that would there's big name player that's going to move. Really, honestly, uh, I don't see anybody from Edmonton moving. Calgary, I'd be shocked if they moved a guy like Monahan or something like that. I don't know if they're willing to give up on the season quite yet. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think, uh, think Vancouver I think goes like in the keeps moving the way they are? I think that tree learning, like you said, like you got to, at some point, like we were talking earlier, you got to look inside inside the locker room more than atop the management or the coaching staff. And like, yeah, yeah. maybe moving Monaghan or somebody like that. Like a Johnny Goudreau wouldn't be good for you guys. You got people like him already. You don't need that kind of no. stuff. There. But like maybe to kind of put like a, a little bit of life into – Monahan, because you like you look at Monahan's numbers and like he does have terrible numbers this year. Even though I kind of contradict myself from last week, but like he, he does have terrible numbers. It's just like he does he he gets so like he's lost out there some games, and when you don't notice him, like he you can go a game two games without even noticing the guy on the ice. But he got like an apple or two apples in that segment. But they're they're, yeah. they're the old goalie assist, as I always say. So the I mean Monahan, I I think he's an okay player. I just. I don't think he's he's not the right fit. Like, do you really? I mean, would it be great to say Monahan's your third line center? Sure. I just don't think it makes sense to have Monahan as your third line center. I, I would uh, from honestly, I'd move him to just a big body winger. I would take him right out of the middle. Yeah, I mean, you could do that uh, and put him playing with uh, Tavares and, and Nylander, maybe. Yeah, he's been on fire lately. Yeah, he's been playing good. Yeah, just scored a beauty. Yeah, had a two goal game the other night there. And, um, yeah, no, he's been he's been good. I mean, I mean, good for Cappy. Uh, we li- I liked him a lot when he played for the Leafs too. But uh, expensive third line guy, so didn't have a spot for him. It's too bad. But we also got uh, that good Russian player there, Rodion Amirov, um, who's having a good season in the KHL this year. So uh, a real good season in the KHL. He is. So I think I mean it's good for Cappy. Good for us to get the cap space. Um, you know, good for everybody. So 
that's just a that was a win-win situation which you don't see too often in trades in the NHL anymore. So love it. All right, I'm gonna go uh, go a little bold prediction, Leafs edition, and I'm gonna go with the uh, the old. Uh, might, I might not sound too bold to some people. Some people might. It all depends on uh, what side of the fence you sit on with this specific player for the Leafs. But I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, Jack Campbell starts the playoffs in that for the Leafs. That's pretty bold. I would say that's bold. He will he will have the net taken over by the time the playoffs come, and Jack Campbell will be your starting goalie of the 2021 NHL playoffs. I wouldn't even hate that. I'd actually be pretty happy with that. I feel like obviously. you're smirking right now. I feel like you enjoyed that one a little bit. I feel like you're you're really you're really taking that one in. And you're like you're you're sitting you're sitting there like a tub. You know what I mean? Just soaking in. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm sitting at half mass right now. So to me, like uh, that would uh, that'd make me hey, pretty happy. Code for that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh yeah, no, that would be uh I think that's bold. Obviously that means that Freddie's not playing up to snuff and Campbell's just playing lights out. Uh so I mean suck for Freddie, but good for, for us. And I think uh I mean Campbell's still a fairly young guy and obviously in the few games he's played this year, uh he's been really good outside of, you know, obviously he's been injured, but um. Yeah. No. Wouldn't. Wouldn't surprise me. You want me to go bolder? But it would surprise I go me. bolder. Sure. I'm gonna go. Freddie's out of town, and Campbell starts the playoffs. Oh yeah, that's that's getting there. Yeah, okay, yeah, now you we're want talking. A little bolder. I'll give that's you a bold. little bolder. That's bold. That's some bold barbecue out of town. for your ass. Yeah, I mean, I always I thought there was a chance that they may move Freddie just because I don't see him re-signing him. But at the same time, if they're going for it this year, you want as much depth in that as you can get. So it's kind of like, well, can you do you really want to trade Freddie, or would you rather just have him just in case? It all depends. Who you but can I work could see out, it though. If like someone else can move into town, you never know. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it, and I think, and not <laughs> only, not only that, but that bold that that would be a big move for sure. Like maybe like Freddie sent Freddie and like some prospects down and grabbed Markstrom out of uh, Calgary Town. I know he's on a big long contract, but shore up shore up that net a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's that's possible. Um maybe they could work something with the knights and get flurry back. Yeah. Maybe go get flurry. Yeah, there you go. They're both on one one year left on their deal, so who knows? That could be maybe something. Just a swap. Uh, and then Freddie can go to Seattle, and then you guys can re-sign Flurry for a couple of years. Yeah, and then have them in a tandem with Campbell. That yeah. could work. Yeah, I don't. I think that's just two good guys who get along well. They're just two like super like down earth dudes. Just, yeah, I think that'd be a good a uh, good little move there, right? Maybe call Dubis. Get on your uh, direct line there in your back cave. Uh, Doug, <laughs> give him a call. I wish I had a direct line to Dubis. Wouldn't that be sweet? Yeah, you got a direct line to Dubis, not Dubis. <laughs> All right, well, brought to you in Canada, so. Yeah. Uh, well, like the uh, podcast is famous for, we'll have to keep an eye on those bold predictions, and uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, before we send you off here, just want to say thanks to our sponsors once again. I uh, always appreciate having them on. Uh, glad to keep it rolling with them. And uh, 
for everyone that's still here and still riding this thing out with us. Uh, that was episode eight, and uh, hopefully you all enjoyed it. Thanks, boys and girls, and uh, have yourself a good week. People of all heights. <laughs>